You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to Kingdom to another episode of Out of Structure Podcast on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. I'm Matt Sagner here with, as always, with Ron Cobb Jr. Ron, we have a few news stories. I thought we might do something a little different today to start off. Again, we're out of structure. We do what we want. So let's go through and just dispense of a handful of recent Chiefs news stories just because it's the offseason. There's not much going on. This is what we're hanging on, right? Yep. It's the OTA season where the only thing we see from practice is pictures from the Chiefs website. So we got to overanalyze those. But you found some good articles with some good info, so there's definitely some things we can take away. So I'm ready to dive in. Let's do it. Well, let's start with our guy, Brashad Breland, signing with the Minnesota Vikings. You know, we assumed that he was looking for a better contract than what the Chiefs were offering. We assumed that the Chiefs maybe made him an offer. Maybe it wasn't a multi-year deal and he's deserved one and wanted one for years. But the way this contract is structured with Minnesota, it is ridiculously cheap. He did not he did not get paid. Absolutely not. A year, and it's not even $4 million as it was first reported. It's actually lower. Uh, John Dixon had a good article pointing all that out. Um, so, yeah, I it really shows you how confident, and it has to show you. There's no other way to put it, but the Chiefs are confident in who they have at cornerback. There's no other reason why they wouldn't make this reunion happen if they had any questions about who who's going to be starting at cornerback this year. Spags has talked about Snead and Ward already, but they haven't thought they they really don't have confidence or he hasn't said anything about a third guy yet. He hasn't pointed anybody out, but they must have confidence because it's a cheap deal. Breland loved Kansas City. He pointed it out a lot, you know, and, and throughout the whole process. He he made sure Kansas City fans knew that he 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 loved Chiefs. Chiefs was in his heart and all that. And so the team must have made the decision and must have thought, hey, we don't need a veteran cornerback. We're confident in the young guys we have, and they're going to roll with them. I, I, I don't agree with their, their topic or their uh, point, their opinion, but that's, that has to be their opinion if they're not making the deal. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of options on the roster, but they're, they feel like complete unknowns at this point as compared to a guy like Breland. So you're really going for long-term upside over security and, and familiarity. And we'll see how it plays out. I mean, Spagnuolo and his defense have proven that high-end cornerback play is not necessary, right? They can they can piece it together. They can bring in some players on the cheap. They can try out some young players there and, and get by. But it, it sure feels like a gamble, and, and that would, it would have been an easy answer to that question. I know we've got some Twitter questions. We'll get to more of those later. There were a couple of questions about different free agent corners or available corners on the market and, and would the Chiefs – consider bringing in you know some of these other guys i think this move right here says they're not looking at a veteran free agent corner uh if they were breland is the most obvious choice out of all of those guys and probably the one i would have preferred to see back out of richard sherman or any of these other available free agents you hit the nail on the head right there exactly there's 
they're not going to bring in any any corners if they're not bringing in Breland. That was the perfect situation, the perfect veteran cornerback. And they have cap space. They have the cap space to bring him in. So that's why it's even more, you know, it'd be different if, even though the cap doesn't exist, as everyone likes to say, and Beach is a magician with this kind of stuff, it would be different if they were right up against the cap. But they really aren't. Breland's contract was very affordable. So, yeah, you're 100% on the on nail on the head there. They're not bringing in a veteran cornerback. They, if they needed to, it would have been Breland. Well, speaking of things that don't make sense and veterans that aren't being brought in, there was this whole story about Le'Veon Bell and his comments uh, via, via social media. You know, I, I'm already sick of hearing about this, but I thought we should just talk about it and maybe put it to bed a little bit more on this podcast. So Le'Veon Bell made this comment that he would rather retire than ever play for Andy Reid again. And caught a whole bunch of heat from it, maybe rightfully so, because Andy Reid's not a guy who normally want a bad mouth in the NFL, especially if you're looking for a job, because his coaching tree branches all over this league. And I'm not sure that if you can't get along with Andy Reid, that a lot of other coaches are going to be excited to bring you in. Yeah, that was my first thought, too. And it's just the fact that he's this has happened each of his the places he's played now, each place. And I didn't even think anything was anything would have happened from his stay in Kansas city. It was just such a, a short-term stay. He didn't really do much, you know, and, and he did, you know, score a few touchdowns. So it's not like he didn't do anything, but even for that to turn into where you're bad mouthing the coach, I mean, at, at some point it's you dude. Um, it's, it is pretty ridiculous, no, he- but I did honestly, I, I will say real quick when I first saw it, I tried to like, I was just like, there's no way he's actually bad mouthing Andy. So I actually tried to twist it in my head and I thought he was kind of saying, that like I didn't do well enough for Andy. He's never going to sign me again. So there's no way I'm playing, you know, there's no way that's happening again. Um, but that's obviously not what he meant because he, he, he came out later and proved that he was just being a, uh, well, his clarification I thought was, a was important. And to me that puts it to rest. I, I read his four messages that he sent out to qualify it and say, listen, exactly. yeah. I regret saying this on social media because obviously it blew up on him. So you're going to regret it if it doesn't go well for you in the social media. But what he was referring to is clearly Reed said something to him that he took offense to. That has to be something related to his role in the team or his playing time. You know, his role diminished. He wasn't really used in that run like he probably wanted to be. And so that makes some sense. I can see why a player wants to play, you know, and if the coach promised him something that that he didn't feel, you know, he followed through on, then, yeah, I get it. Great. Uh, move on. Let it die. He's not coming back here. He's he's not – maybe not coming back anywhere. So, uh, I to me, that sort of put it to rest. I saw the clarification. Great. Move on. What's next? Yeah, I'm with you. I was kind of I, I was like, how does this become news all of a sudden? But it is news. You know, it is something that, it, it, you know, we talked about, you know, Andy Reid. You know, it's just it's so rare for a player to publicly. You know, we saw it with Steven Nelson a little bit when he was coming out. He wasn't bashing Andy Reid individually, but he just kind of bashed the organization a little bit coming out. Maybe the defensive coaches. Um, but it's just kind of rare that we see that because the Chiefs are such a well-run organization. Most of the time, people come out of their careers here, even if it's short, being really, you know, uh, happy about it and, and, you know, uh, Chiefs for life, even if they were here for a short time. Not Bell. <laughs> he is not okay. a Chief for life. Well, well, somebody who's going to be a Chief for a lot longer, um, Trey Smith 
looks like he's potentially stepping into some of those first team reps that are vacated by Kyle Long and his injury. So first of all, I really hated to see Long go down. That's a really frustrating thing for him. I'm sure his career has really been marred with injury. And now he, he comes back with, after some time off, healthy and ready to go. He was looking lean. He had the first team reps pretty much to himself. And then that happens. It's really unfortunate for Kyle Long. It does leave the door open for Trey Smith. And I think the coaching staff's really excited about him. We all were pouring over those pictures from coming out of, of uh, OTAs and mini camps and trying to see, is he in there? Uh, is he the first team guy? And then right away, the Chiefs come out and announce the return of Laurent Duvernay-Tardif coming back um, after his opt-out season. Some people were starting to question whether he was coming back or not because he hadn't been there for some of the voluntary workouts. Ron's raising his hand saying he that was, was me. Guys. Well, now that LDT is back, how does that affect the competition at right guard? Do you think there is a competition? Is, he, is LDT just going to jump right back into the first team reps, or does Trey Smith have something to say about it even at this point in his career? Oh, absolutely. The, the Chiefs are hyping, and, uh, hyping him up enough for where we have to consider Trey Smith now. I, they keep talking about him. We keep hearing his name. I mean, Andy Heck saying that he's – he basically sounded very confident that he'd be a starter at some point in his career just – you know, he has some stuff to work on, but he just flat out said it. And, you know, he doesn't he doesn't need to say that at this point. You know, he doesn't need to hype him up like that publicly. So I think it's absolutely a, a competition. LDT does have a good chance. So, you know, it's it's important to know the system. And he's a smart dude, obviously. So that's really going to give him an advantage. And and Trey is is a raw prospect, you know, and, and it, that there were reasons he dropped to the sixth round, not just because of, you know, the medicals. That's the main part of it, obviously. But he's a raw player and, you know, he wasn't NFL ready maybe uh, right out the gate, uh, but we'll see. We'll see. It's a training camp competition. The Chiefs have been able to get away with putting guards, you know, uh, uh, not experienced guards, you know, maybe, you know, uh, more, you don't want to call Trey Smith off the street, but just, you know, anyone in there and being able to make it work. So maybe throwing someone with raw power in their raw talent uh, could, could be worked with, uh, you know, experienced at the rest of the positions. I think the challenge with Trey Smith in college, at least appeared to be consistency. He had the highlight real plays, the, the, high highs that made you believe he's a future all pro. And then he had some other plays where you're wondering what he was doing and, or wondering if he knew what he was doing. And so there'll be a learning curve for him. LDT, I think you know what you have in that player. He's been there long enough in the system. He's had some really good years, the years that got him paid. And he's had a couple of years that maybe weren't so impressive where Chiefs fans were talking about finding a replacement uh, for him. So is it just a two-man competition at this point? Or do we think any of these other guys might factor in? Austin Blythe, you know, uh, Andrew Wiley. There, there's another a number of other bodies that could theoretically be thrown at that right guard position, even Lucas Niang. W- what do you think? Is it a two-man competition or is it is it a five- or six-man competition? Yeah, Allegretti, uh, Allegretti is another one to consider too. Um, you know, he did start at left guard all last year, so that's – that's something, you know, hey, he has starting experience, even if it's not the same position. But someone else, we have to consider Lucas Niang maybe um, getting more guard play if if they do want to be in one of those situations where they're putting their best five up and they do want to get bigger and they think Remmers is a solid right tackle. Uh, you know, maybe they do say, hey, we know you're, you're the future at right tackle. 
well, let's get you playing now. Let's get your big body in there. Let's get you at right guard. So that's another one to consider. You know, uh, it, it is a truly open competition. And Brett Veach did call uh, Niang a guard possibility last offseason right after they drafted him. I know the situation was different last year on the line because, you know, you had Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz. He wasn't playing tackle for you. But, yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. And it'll definitely be one of the best competitions at training camp to watch uh, to follow. Well, that's six names I think you just listed as possibilities. Right. If you're factoring in, you know, Niang and uh, Allegretti. So I I honestly think it's a two-person competition there, and everybody else is going to be scrambling for death spots along the line. I really do think they're going to do everything they can uh, to make it a competition between Smith and LDT. Yeah. And with, you know, LDT having the contract – you know, that he has, you know, there, there's incentive to make it work there with Smith, you know, being on a, such a cheap deal and having such the upside that he has, they might want to bring him along a little bit more slowly and let him yeah. do a long-term answer there. So let LDT play out this year, Smith be the long-term answer. Maybe Kyle Long doesn't make the roster if his, you know, if his health isn't right and, and they don't see a spot for him. So there's a lot of different ways this thing can go, whether it's a narrow competition or a wider competition. It brings us to some other comments that I saw. One was Jaron Reed commenting about, you know, his role in the defense and how things were going so far. He went out of his way to praise maybe somebody we're not talking about enough in that rotation in Turk Wharton. And is that an underrated player? Is that an under the radar guy that you know we're all excited about Jaron Reed with Chris Jones and Frank Clark all at the same time, you know, or or Jaron Reed with Derek Nadi on running downs, but Wharton might be that extra rotational interior pass rusher that makes this thing really, really go. Yeah. When you see a guy come out like he did his rookie year, I think everyone he is he is on everyone's radar. He's not if you're a Chiefs fan, you know, if you're watching the Chiefs every week, you know, who Tershawn Wharton is now. And that's pretty impressive for an undrafted free agent rookie from I believe it was Missouri S&T down in Rolla, Missouri. Shout out if anyone's from there. So, yeah, I, I think it, it is important to understand that he was a really good pass rusher last year. He was one of the best rookie pass rushers in the NFL statistically, according to PFF last year. And he doesn't have to be put in a position where he's the main guy on a line. He's he is going to get the one on ones with, you know, some maybe just a bad guard or a bad center because they need their best guys on Chris Jones, Taco Charlton, Jaron Reed, Frank Clark, all those guys. So he's going to be the cleanup guy. He's going to be the trash man cleaning up. Um, and he, he but he does have the capability where he's he's just really impressive. Pass rush moves. He looks really smooth. He's a really fun player to watch, and he'll definitely be someone that's going to be an X factor for the defense. If there's one thing you want out of this defense, it is a strong rotation on the front, the front seven. Yes. And you, especially when it comes to the pass rush, you can't just rely on one guy or two guys. Having a really deep rotation of pass rushers is what made the Spagnolo defenses of old great. And it wasn't, again, it wasn't one or two guys, it was five or six players on that defensive front that could get after the quarterback. And so having Wharton there, you know, again, maybe it, it uh, isn't great for Colin Saunders, but it might be great for, for everybody else in that rotation to have some snaps off, you know, uh, keeping everybody fresh 
and given all different looks from that front. Yeah, exactly. And we kind of talked about it. The other podcast, you know, we're talking about the techniques that Chris Jones and Jaron Reed rush from. But Wharton rushes from the same techniques. That's kind of where he's good at, too, because he is a smaller player, smaller stature guy. He's not going to be eating up double teams. You know, that's not what he's good for. He's, he's not the best run defender, but he, he flashes in the past game. And that's what's important, right? He, you can find guys that are good at run defense, but if you can find a guy that shows some natural pass rushing building like Wharton has already in his young career, he's someone you want to stick around. Maybe someone you kind of extend early in his career for really cheap um, just to keep him around. If he does continue to be as productive as he was last year, and he's just a key piece because, Hey, Reed and Naughty are both free agents after this season. So, you know, there is some decisions to make in that interior defensive line. It's, it's, it's a fun position group to watch this year for sure. Man, from small school undrafted free agent rookie to already talking about a second contract, that really speaks volumes to to Tershawn Wharton and what he's been able to accomplish. And you're right, it's not very often that somebody like him even makes an NFL roster to begin with, but to jump right in and basically be, for practical purposes, a starter last year, you know, at least a significant part of a rotation. Absolutely. uh, Incredible. So – Really going to be a fun rotation, and he's he's going to be a big part of it. Another potentially positive development that we saw in the news this week, there was a story from The Athletic and Nate Taylor talking about Willie Gay Jr. and his development and how this year he's had a lot more of an opportunity to get into the playbook and refine some of the things that he needed refining from last year. It's nice to hear firsthand knowledge or some a reporter with firsthand knowledge talking about where Gay is in his development, because I think we've had some serious questions about that and what his role is going to be, whether he's going to get leapfrogged by Bolton or somebody else, or if maybe this is going to be the year. He seemed to make it clear in this piece that the Chiefs expect Gay to be a starter, that he's working at both Sam and Will positions, and he's really stepping up his game from last season can we expect big things from Willie Gay Jr. now we should right because he's a second round pick and that's what happens in the NFL when a team uses a top 64 pick on you you're expected to become a starting caliber kind of player that's just how it is so it's not unfair to expect that it's not at all he got off to a slow start because of COVID and stuff it seems like Willie Gay was definitely the type that kind of needed that offseason time and he and as you mentioned he talked about it which is, which is good that he acknowledges that and that he's acknowledging that it's, it's better this offseason. He feels more comfortable mentally and physically this offseason. Well, physically, just because he's recovered from the injury. I don't know. You know, last year, he's probably feeling a little better last year. But anyway, yeah, so just Gay has the opportunity to really take a step forward. They got rid of Wilson, so they do have snaps at the linebacker position that need to be filled by somebody. Gay is a logical person to do that. He's the athletic type that, We've been on this podcast preaching that we need everyone in Chiefs Kingdom has been preaching that the linebackers need to be more athletic. Willie Gay fits that. And if he can put it together this year, if he can be a guy that can take those second most snaps, I really think it'll really improve the defense night and day just on outside runs, you know, containing passes to the flat. Having an athletic linebacker just just helps the defense out so much. And if he can do that, it's going to be a huge impact. Absolutely. I think we can expect big things. We can hope for big things from Willie Gay this year. He did come out and say that he's 100% after his injury and praise the training staff that helped him get back to where he needs to be physically. So if he's physically 100%, he is an athletic freak. 
He's had a second year now to get the playbook under his belt a little bit. It's going to be exciting to watch. That does lead to some questions about the roles for some of those guys. And that I don't know if that's a question that we have later on here, Ron, but the the fit for Willie Gay at Sam or Will or you know, is he is he gonna be a Mike? Who's gonna, you know, who's gonna be the next up? How can they get Willie Gay and Nick Bolton on the field at the same time? Or will they at all? Is is one question that I think is really still pending and, and something that we're going to be watching for in camp. Yep. We will be because it is losing Wilson does open up a lot of things for you. Cause Wilson was able to play the Sam a lot of the time. And they tried out people at will or the will, you know, he played the will in in their most common formation, the buck, you know, the nickel formation in defense when there's only two linebackers on the field. But the thing with gay is he is an athletic linebacker. As we just said, that's the will linebacker position. You need an athletic guy that can, cover the flat because he's going to be on the the weak side of formation, kind of have open space on that side. Rather, the Sam linebackers on the strong side of the formation, he'll be closer to the line of scrimmage, and he'll need to be a tougher kind of guy. And that's why, in my opinion, I would say Bolton will be the starting Sam this year with Gay being the starting Will. We don't know how they feel about Neiman. I mean, we do know how they feel about Neiman, I should say, but we don't know how they'll – they'll use that uh, liking of Neiman to, to counteract with Gay and Bolton. I hope it doesn't mess with their playing time too much, but I understand Neiman might know the defense maybe a little more than they do. I would still rather just have athletic guys out there that maybe make some mistakes, but they're giving you a chance because they're such athletic dudes, uh, better tacklers, better hitters, all that. So I would say, to answer your question, I would say Bolton would be the Sam, just it's an easier role for a rookie to come in and learn. Gay kind of did that same thing last year. And then you have Gay at will. Hopefully he's taking that step and he can be a difference maker at the second level of the defense. That's probably the best case scenario, right? Because the Sam is heavily involved in the run game. And that would be the strength of Nick Bolton based on his college tape. He's a big hitter. He likes to get after it and come downhill. And so he he could even be a theoretical pass rusher from the Sam position occasionally. I don't know if we've seen a lot of that on, on tape from him in college, but it's something that he could he could try out or develop. But having Gay really lock down the Will linebacker position, I think would be one of the best developments of this entire offseason. If you could say he's a bona fide starter, stud at the Will position, you know you've got Hitchens in the middle, you know you've got Bolton developing, and Willie Gay holding holding down his position would be would be fantastic. And I'll take it a step further, actually, because there is a difference in that will linebacker position and their nickel and base formations. And then the dime linebacker position that we see Ben Neiman has really owned in the last two years, for better or for worse. And so if Gay can take that position over too, which if he's the most athletic linebacker on the team, which it appears that he is, I know Daniel might give him a run for his money, but, you know, obviously Gay's a higher performer. If, if, he is the most athletic linebacker. He does probably need to be the dime linebacker because you want as much athleticism as possible when you're in dime because that means they're throwing. That means they're, you know, you'll be in light boxes, so you're not going to have to worry about the run as much, and you're just going to have to worry about getting deep or covering a guy. You know, they might go empty on you. So, yeah, I'd, I'd take it a step further. The biggest impact, I would say, actually, even over getting that will linebacker position in, like, base and stuff would be if he could be that dime linebacker and really bring a different level of athleticism than they've had there 
uh, you know, with Neiman the past few years. Is, is that something that they've historically done is had one guy be the, the will and the base and, the, and also the dime kind of shift them around and keep them, keep them on the field. You know, I, it, they kind of always have had the dime be a different player than who they have in the base and nickel. It seems like to me, um, just because I guess maybe Neiman's just athleticism is more than niche Hitchens or Neiman, or, or I should say Hitchens and Wilson, excuse me. Um, but before that, you know, Daniel was getting run at the dime linebacker position as well, but he never seemed to get much reps at will. So it, it is kind of, I don't really know how they handle that. I would just assume though, you drafted a linebacker in the second round, you need that guy on the field and in dime, especially when you're the chiefs offense, that's going to be up on teams and they're going to be throwing to keep up. Dime's going to be on the field a lot. That's why Neiman's always on the field. And that's why he's always sticking out like an eyesore. So that's why Gay needs to be in that dime position because he needs to be on the field, you know, to justify that second round pick. And being on the field in the dime linebacker position, teams do tend to run against the Chiefs in that formation. They'll try to get right. in that formation and then specifically run against them. And, and Neiman, you know, has uh, maybe gotten run over a few times in his Chiefs career in, in those situations. So having a, a more stout player that could also run – could make a difference in that formation as well, even against the run. Yeah, and Gay is a more stout run defender for sure. I think I think that's than Neiman for sure. He's still, you know, he's not. That's not his strong suit or anything. But I would definitely say he comes down, you know, fills a hole a little harder, a little better than Neiman. So yeah, no, the linebacker group is all as always is that is going to be a really fun position to watch. And Gay, if he can if he can break out, yeah, it'll just be such a huge add to the defense. Well, that's a few out-of-structure takes on the news that we've seen this week. When we come back from break, we're going to dive right into your Twitter questions. There's quite a few good ones out there. We'll see how many we can squeeze in when we come back on the Out-of-Structure podcast. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we're back on the Out of Structure podcast. Thanks for sticking with us. Again, I'm Matt Stagner here with Ron Kopp Jr. We're going to get to your Twitter questions now. And the first one from Jake Wilson at Jake for now. What changes do you think we'll see with improved red zone performance, both offense and defense? Ron, what do you think? Jake must be a fan of airheadpride.com because he's been reading my red zone film review stuff the past few weeks. Reviewed the defense last week. The offense is this week. And so I'll start with the offense. It's fresh on the mind. Offense uses a lot of misdirection in the red zone. It's so fun to watch. And, and we saw it last year with like Ferrari, Wright too. They took it to another level with 
pre-snap quarterback motion. They did a lot of that stuff, though, because they didn't trust the offensive line. I, I noticed one thing in the in week one, uh, four different plays in the fourth quarter. They were trying to finish out the game against the Texans. They could not punch it in inside the two-yard line with traditional running plays. And since that point, it was, it was kind of funny to see because I was, I was kind of going through every red zone possession of the season. They did not really ever run a traditional run play in that situation for the rest of the season. Maybe a few here or there, but they really just relied on, you know, either passes, you know, sprint out passes or this misdirection stuff. Like I said, where you got the defense's head spinning because you don't know which, which way the ball's going. It speaks to how the offensive line just wasn't really that great, even from the start last year. And, and especially the interior line, you know, the tackles, obviously when they were healthy are, are, are good tackles, but it just speaks to how improved this offensive line is going to be this year and how much the red zone offense can improve and not have to rely on those misdirection trick kind of plays. So, yeah, I'll, I'll just say that about the offense. I, I went on for a while. I'll get your take on the offense as well. It would be nice to see them be able, not saying they have to do it every time, but to be able to convert, a, you know, first and goal, second and goal from the exactly. one line, just line up, run it right in and, and move on and not have to take it deep into the, the downs with so many misdirections or so many trick plays. Trick plays are fun, sometimes hilarious. You know, when, when whenever they have some of these, uh, uh, you know, hungry pig right type plays, we all get a kick out of it. But again, a really dominant offense could just line it up, punch it in, you know, kick off and get, get right back after it. And, and that'll be that would be a nice element to add to this offense where teams knew that you had to respect that as well as the trick play. Yeah, and so I, I think that's a good wrap on the offense. I'll go to defense real quick. The defense, I would say, the main thing is, first of all, if they do improve the red zone defense statistically, they're going to be one of the best defenses in the league because they didn't even allow teams into the red zone very much. So if they can not allow teams into the red zone and then not allow them to score once they get there, even at the times, the small amount of times they do get there, that's just going to help out the the offense as well. You know, the defense will just kind of just take it another level statistically. So, yeah, so that's one thing about the defense. But I will say the individual players that that will make the biggest impact, we've talked about them for weeks now. You know, we just talked about them a lot today. Willie Gay, if he steps up, that's going to improve the red zone defense just because a lot of times Chiefs defense just gets outflanked wide on, on these stretch plays or the linebackers just aren't athletic enough to look at a run fake and then drop back into their coverage and, and still cover the tight end that's coming over the top. Gay does have that burst and ability to do that. So yeah, if Gay's on the field, that'll that'll be the if he's playing a lot, that'll automatically increase the red zone D. You know, when you think about red zone D, a lot of people think goal line, right? You you just immediately think, all right, who's your yeah, who's your run stuffer that's gonna stop that quarterback sneak or that, you know, that dive in the in the uh in the end zone. It's not necessarily just about that. It, to me, again, I think we talked about this last week that I felt like the Chiefs defense was always close but not quite and that that came up a lot I'm guessing when you watch the red zone defense last year to say you know they they had them shut down then there was a penalty and they gave them another shot or they you know they they blew a coverage they blew something that that they should have easily been able to take care of or clean up it's it seems like they have even without major personnel changes they had the the players and they have the scheme and it's just an execution thing sometimes. Yeah, you're right. 100%. The cornerbacks a lot of times, and the safeties, I should say, 
you know, they, they did get a little grabby. And, and that's just the nature of the Spagnolo cornerbacks for sure. Um, it just gets magnified when the refs actually throw the flag or let them play, you know, game to game. That, that stuff changes. So, yeah, I, you're right. I would say that uh, maybe that's a reason they weren't excited about bringing Breland back because he's known for being. Yeah. But I think uh, Hughes, Baker, Ward, those guys are all handsy, <laughs> physical, feisty kind of players. So I'm not sure that 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 really proves a point. Yeah. And, and one thing, I guess on that point, it's kind of a, a tangent a little bit, but like Breland was on a national stage, getting all those flags called, you do start to earn a reputation and, you know, refs maybe start to look for it a little more depending on if, Hey, I know this player holds, I saw it, you know, clear as day in the Super Bowl a few times, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I know that's a little, you know, not, that's a little tinfoil hat, I guess, but you know, they, they kind of, you know, they kind of see stuff and, and kind of have pre, prejudgments or biases uh, that they don't even realize they have the refs. So, yeah. Well, the next question, uh, Chiefs mash forever, Chiefs mash 85. How realistic that Jerick McKinnon makes the roster? If healthy, he seems like a good third down back. But then again, does that take away some of the catching downs that we wanted to see more of with Clyde Edwards Hilaire based on one of his, his one of his best traits, or we, we thought that was one of his best traits. And then there's a follow-up question from Magic Mahomes, as always, not a Chiefs fan. Appreciate you asking questions every week. Where do you think CEH will finish on the team in terms of receiving yards? So what do we think about the running back position between those two guys? How do they, how do they balance that out, and, and what do we expect from McKinnon? So that's the thing with McKinnon. He he is a, an older guy, a guy that should not have a huge role on this team, but I do think he he will earn a spot over Darwin Thompson just because he is a veteran back, um, someone that's played in this league and and is a very fast dude once he gets in the open field. He's definitely a big play threat. And that's always kind of nice to have as your third back, someone that if you need to throw in could pop off for a long touchdown run if the blocking's there. And, you know, the blocking should be there a lot more this year. But I would say Clyde, if he's taking passing reps away from Clyde, that's that's just not good. And that's just uh, that either means the team isn't confident in Clyde or they're just wasting what is a very valuable asset. I mean, use the first round pick on a running back. You need to be able to use a, use all of the talent that he has. And he is a very valuable pass catcher. We've seen it in college. Didn't see it that much last year, but in spurts. And if you're not giving him the ability to to take advantage of that, part of his talent then I just don't see why you use such a high pick on him you know you can find guys that you can't you can't use every down like you can use with Clyde on third down and everything we hopefully we see him more on third down this year you can find guys like that later in the draft but not if if you're using a first round pick please use them all you can the pass game I hope McKinnon doesn't take away from that is there an aspect of pass protection there is is McKinnon a better pass protector than Edward Solaire potentially I know they seem to like that veteran running back for the third down role because they seem to understand the protections and they, they seem to be able to open things up in the passing game just from that standpoint, not even as a playmaker. I, I don't I haven't seen or watched enough of McKinnon to, to answer that myself, but I was just wondering if you had. Well, that's a good point because that's why Clyde wasn't on the field for third downs last year, right? Daryl was that third down back because he's a bigger body and, and was more trusted in pass protection. He's been on the team since 2018, which is crazy to me. It, it, he's He's been a, he's kind of a vet. This is his fourth year on the, on the team now. But with McKinnon, he is similar size to Clyde. He shouldn't, he's not, he shouldn't offer anything more in pass protection than Clyde can, maybe just the experience of it. 
Um, but th that's about it. Um, I I'd say Clyde needs to be able to step in in that role over someone like McKinnon. Yeah, I've said it over and over again on this podcast that Clyde is my guy this year. I think he's due for a breakout season. He had a really good season last year. I think we're overlooking how good he was as a rookie, especially given the blocking and challenges that, that were in front of him. With a better offensive line, this offense should be humming this year, and Edward Delaire should be a big part of it. I've got him as the uh, fourth leading receiver on the team this season. Maybe, hopefully not third, because that would mean that nobody steps up from a receiver standpoint. But I really think you know a 500-yard receiving season for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, along with a, a big year on the ground, uh, is something that's not out of the question. And McKinnon could just be a change of base guy that gets three carries a game, but maybe he breaks one of them for 40 yards every yeah. once in a while. Exactly. No, I'm, I'm with you. I think I'll, I'll go Clyde at fourth, too. And if he does get a third, I think that is a bad sign for McColl and his career. Because if, if McColl is not the third leading receiver on this team this year, you know, that's that's but I guess we have more info on that later. Uh, we'll, so we'll get to that later. Actually, that's a perfect lead in. Let's let's get to Malcolm. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Question, Hound Doggy's question and Ethan Emily. Everybody talks about this wide receiver stack. Like how are how do we think the, the wide receivers after Hill end up in production and performance in priority? And, you know, it, it comes down to Ethan Emily's question. Does McCole Hardman get a chance to be re-signed and what's the over-under for McCole specifically in production, but also again, the whole stack of the rest of the receivers around him? Yeah, no, I really like this question from Ethan because what he's getting at is – the over-under yard amount for McColl, what number would you put it at that if he hits that number, the Chiefs got to sign him to a long-year deal. You got to believe he does. And that is – I love that question because it really makes you think, you know, you, you want 1,000 yards from your receiver, right? As a second-round receiver, we've seen guys from his class have 1,000 yards, so you want him to take that step. You really do. But I don't know if the expectations should be that high for him or, you know, the baseline of him. You know, he could get over a thousand yards, but at the same time, how many of that three time a thousand yard receivers are, you know, on the same team? How many times has that happened? And, you know, Kelsey and Hill are getting their thousand yards. So it's tough. So I'm going to go ahead and say I'll say 850 because get the 900 maybe. Um, but I'll say 850 to temper my expectations a little bit. You know, I, I feel like I get to do this every week with you, Ron. I give, I'm going to pull out the 17 game season card and say stats are going to be a little bit inflated. This oh year. my lord! Yeah. <laughs> so there's, I'll stick with it. I'll stick with it. There's going to be more thousand yard receivers than than usual because there's another game for them to to add up. That number two quote unquote wide receiver spot for the Chiefs. I think the right number in most years is 800. So call it yeah 850 900 would be a good performance. You know. I personally think that McColl's role on the team should be pretty well established by this point, whether it's just a gadget player or a true number two wide receiver or any of that stuff. I don't think matters that much. I think he's a fast guy that can make big plays and that they want to get involved in whatever way they can. So if they can do that this year and he ends up with, you know, 900 yards and eight touchdowns. That's a largely successful season in this offense. You know, in, in a 16-game season, I would have said 750. I'd be happy with 
So I do think this is a big year for McColl, obviously, but we shouldn't put our expectations too high that he has to be a thousand yard receiver or, or no deal because I think more nuance to it than that. Yeah. And another point I think is important is next year is his fourth year on the deal in his last year. So he will have to make that decision in this next summer. Hey, do I want to resign right now? Just lock in a long-term deal with the chiefs. Cause maybe depending on his production, maybe they kind of, you know, Hey, if he doesn't have that great of production, but he's still a good player, like you're saying, let's just lock him in now. So he doesn't explode his last year. And then we have to go up against the market, but he might want to bet on himself as well. He may think his fourth year is where he really explodes that kind of thing. It, it is really interesting to follow McColl's career because he's so fast that you want to keep him on the team, but you also want to make sure you don't overpay a guy that may not be an actual wide receiver one or two. The list of Chiefs receiving targets based on production, obviously it's Hill and Kelsey at the top of that list. It should be McColl in the third spot, and it should be Clyde Edwards-Hilaire uh, right neck and neck with him or in the fourth position. So for the fifth leading receiver on the Chiefs, I think you've got four players potentially that could earn that job. And I know a lot of people have talked about Byron Pringle and how he just needs that opportunity and Demarcus Robinson as somebody who they you know should rely on less than what they have in the past. But what do you think about who emerges from that group of Pringle, Robinson, Cornell Powell, and Antonio Callaway to be the fifth receiving target on the Chiefs. Again, I'm not calling him a wide receiver five or wide receiver three. I'm just saying in terms of yards and catches at the end of the season, regardless of role, who's going to step up in that next spot? Well, if we were betting men, we'd be betting Demarcus Robinson, right? I think that's a safe bet. I think We've seen Demarcus Robinson step up and be a wide receiver too for the team, even if he hasn't been super productive. But he can be that guy that Mahomes relies on. He kind of grew up with Mahomes in terms of the NFL career. They were he was throwing Mahomes was throwing to Robinson in the preseason, you know, before he became the starter, all that kind of thing. I I really this is the biggest this is the best competition for training camp for sure. I mean, I I can't. I it's just I really like all the I mean I don't really like Robinson that much as a player anymore I kind of wish they would have just you know kind of trusted Pringle to step up but a guy like Powell too who knows maybe he can make a big step his rookie year and and contribute over guys like Pringle and Robinson that's the thing Powell's a fifth round pick and we say let's temper our expectations for a fifth round pick but Robinson was initially a fourth round pick and Pringle was an undrafted free agent so it's not like you're go, he's going against these uber talented guys that he's he's they're not in a, the same class as him they're all kind of in that same talent class a little bit Powell's just a less experience it is going to be a big competition and I think it's really between those three that I mentioned Callaway will kind of be fighting for you know minimal targets so there's really one guy in that group that has ever had more than 500 yards in a season and more than five touchdowns in a season and that is Callaway so and that was with the Cleveland Browns so you get yeah. Inflate that if you go to a good team and and say that he's had decent <laughs> production. Now, Robinson's average about four fifty a year, three to four touchdowns. Uh, Byron Pringle about one hundred and sixty yards uh, a year with one touchdown. In a past production, Callaway is the only one that's actually done it to the level that we would be excited about. I think if you had your fifth leading receiver on the team go over five hundred yards and have five touchdowns, you would say. That's good production from that spot. 
Do you see any of those other guys getting up to that level or do you think Callaway can get back to that level? You know, that is a good point because can you see Byron Pringle getting to 500 yards, five touchdowns? That is kind of a stretch because he does seem to kind of just be a situational player, maybe someone that isn't dominating a game, you know, but we do see him at Arrowhead, Indianapolis, 2019, when he did have to step up for injured receivers, he did have a huge game. So I, it, I am literally so back and forth on this. It's crazy. I can't make it. I can't make up my mind a little bit. The thing with Callaway, and I did review him last week, and so I, I'm, he's kind of fresh on my mind. He's just a little redundant of what they get from a Cole Hardman, and he's not the same kind of receiver as what they're going to need from Byron, DeMarcus, or Powell. They're all going to be X types that kind of need to be bigger bodies, be able to block a little better. Callaway is going to really just be a situational deep threat. And so how much he gets on the field really I think will depend on who they're playing how they want to attack a defense, whether it's going to be a deep ball game or, or, you know, how it goes. And, and they already have Tyreek and McColl to kind of do that kind of deep ball stuff. So that's, that's the only hangup I have on Callaway. He might be a little redundant where he's not getting a lot of targets to, to be a wide receiver or, you know, a target five, like we're saying. So it's, it's really between those three. Like I said, I, I think for the fifth role, because they're just going to be on the field more than a Callaway could be. And I, I want to say Pringle, he's my guy. But, man, Powell is as kind of impressed as a rookie, too. It, it is going to be so fun to watch in training camp. I think it's going to be a huge battle. So I think in your piece you called Callaway a classic Z-type receiver, which would put him basically third on the depth chart in that position, right? So it's Hill. Exactly. And then McColl is hopefully a Z, you know, if, if he develops in the way that you hope that he does. So I could see Callaway as a game day inactive, you know, third Z receiver, or off the roster or on the practice squad with the need for an X, not necessarily a huge body jump ball player, but maybe for that blocking aspect. And that's a really underrated part of Demarcus Robinson's game. Yes. If you look at long games from this team over the last few years, almost every single highlight reel clip has Robinson downfield blocking somebody almost every single time. And so maybe that's, Maybe that alone gets Robinson on the field more. Yeah. But will he actually produce in that time? I think is yet to be seen. Yeah, but I do think that's a good point. And he's just going to be on the field more. And I think that's just who's going to be this. I think it's just whoever is on the field more. No matter what, you're not going to be being thrown to, you know, as, as a featured player uh, with Kelsey Hill and obviously Edward Taylor hopefully taking a step up. So yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. I will say Pringle is in that same vein as well in the blocking thing. I think Pringle is a good blocker. He just not as many opportunities as Robinson. And Powell might be the most physically imposing of the, th- right? of the three. So if he develops as a blocker, he could see the field a lot. And then, you know, maybe he does flash something that we just haven't seen from Pringle and Robinson. I feel like Pringle and Robinson and probably Callaway are guys that, Every year, somebody is like, oh, this is going to be the year. They just need more snaps. This is going to be the year for them. And then, you know, they, they sort of are what they are. So uh, I'll take the maybe the unknown if Powell can develop as a blocker and, and see if he can get on the field and get some production. Yeah, I know there is. I know Andy at one point said uh, at one point said receivers take a lot of time to get into the offense and stuff as rookies and stuff. So they don't produce maybe right away as well. So that's one thing to consider, but yeah, I think Powell's a good pick. Next question from Ron. Um, you've got a question here from James Tatum Mondesi MVP. Oh yes. 
Yeah. So uh, James, he asked, I like this question too. <laughs> he asked over under on read options with Mahomes this season. And if it ends up being over 0.5, should Andy Reed be fired on the spot or right after the clock hits zeros in the fourth quarter? Matt, what is your take on Andy Reed being fired potentially? <laughs> so are read options an issue with Mahomes or is it the quarterback sneak where the kneecap was on the side of his leg? that they vowed not to do that anymore. You know, I, I want to keep all the options on the table, including the quarterback sneak. You don't play this game to not get hurt. In fact, you're probably more likely to get hurt if you're playing not to get hurt than if you play the game the way it's supposed to be played. I don't want to take anything off the table. I'm not firing Reed if he runs Mahomes <laughs> in a logical situation. Uh, now, if he gets hurt, I, I reserve the right to, to overreact. But as a philosophy, they should, they should keep everything in, on the table. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad you made that point. No, I, I, I totally agree with the fact that, uh, you know, on it's it's you got to leave all the plays open, right? You can't just close it out. And, you know, if you are playing like to not get hurt, like you said, I totally agree with that point. I always think that's the point to make because I do remember how much of a take this was last year when, or the year before Mahomes got hurt. Everyone wanted to, you know, get at Andy. Hey, you know, if you need that little of yardage, a quarterback sneak's going to work. And how many times has a quarterback gotten hurt on one? I mean, you can't predict that, but I will say it's 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 more on Mahomes, in my opinion, to just play smart and cautious. The play calling shouldn't change, but yeah, if you're in a, a you know if Mahomes is in a bad situation, all of a sudden there's dudes running at him, just go down. <laughs> you know you don't need to be Lamar Jackson. Yeah, that, it's it's more on him, in my opinion, to to prevent any injuries than the play calling. I feel like for the most part, Mahomes does a pretty good job of not taking massive hits. He's, and you can see in the offseason work that he puts in, he works on his flexibility and his agility on his ability to, to, you know, to bounce back. And, and I think he does a good job of getting down when he needs to get down. He's taken, obviously in the quarter, in the Super Bowl, all we picture is him getting crushed in the pocket. But when he gets out on the move, he's pretty good at sliding or getting out of bounds when he needs to. And so I, Again, I, I don't worry about that too much. I think you just got to play the game and, and play to win. There's a bunch of other Twitter questions here about free agency. I can sort of lump them all together uh, with one. Uh, Ron, do you have the Twitter handle for who asked the 90th man question? I do not, unfortunately. Sorry, person that asked that question. <laughs> well, it's a good question anyway. Who's going to be the 90th person on the roster? Who's going to sign in that extra spot? Uh, there's a bunch of questions about Olivier Vernon and Richard Sherman and Justin Houston and uh, all of these other, you know, names that you recognize and people that you'd be excited about the team adding. Well, the Chiefs gave their definitive answer on that by assigning free agent offensive lineman Wyatt Miller, who most of us have probably not heard of or been too familiar with. He's a former undrafted free agent who's bounced around the league a little bit. This sort of goes with what my prediction was with that 90th roster spot, it's going to be somebody that you don't know somebody that's going to fill up the roster for training camp, but not one of these big name players that, that we think would be a difference maker. Well, shout out cat at cat eight, eight, one, seven, four, nine, nine, six for asking that question. I I got her, her shout out or his shout out. Don't know. Uh, But yeah, so I, I, I don't know anything about Wyatt Miller. So you're asking the wrong person, but I, you know, it just kind of goes to show you what we talked about before. They're not bringing in another veteran, in my opinion. They're kind of, they got the roster set. They're good. If they have a spot, it'll be these training camp bodies. 
Yeah, this roster is in pretty good shape, really, in the grand scheme of things. I think we all wanted to see an edge. I know we talked about this last week and in the piece that I wrote that they've got a lot of options, a lot of rotational pieces on the edge, on the defensive line position, you know, with Wharton playing well inside, with Jerron Reed there inside, then you're going to see more Chris Jones outside. You're going to see them mixing it up and piecing things together with Taco Charlton and others at that edge position. And then again, we saw their lack of interest in really upgrading at the corner position uh, beyond what they've already done via free agency. So those are the two spots that we were all holding our breath and waiting to see if there was a, a veteran addition. It just doesn't seem like it's going to happen. It seems like the Chiefs have got their 90-man roster pretty much where they want it going into training camp. I'm excited to see how it comes together. Uh, Ron, appreciate you today. Good yes, conversation. Sir. Thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, let's go ahead and wrap up there on the Out of Structure podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. Make sure you subscribe, review, rate, good or bad. We want to hear your feedback, but we appreciate you all spending some time with us and talking Chiefs. And we'll do it again next week. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Support for this show comes from Vanta. Dealing with loads of spreadsheets, juggling different tools, and having to do manual security checks, it can be a headache to keep up with today's compliance and security programs. Vanta is the trust management platform that wants to simplify things and bring all your trust-building efforts under one roof, making growth smoother for your whole organization. Vanta lets you automate up to 90% of compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more. Strengthen security posture and reduce third-party risk. Get $1,000 off Vanta when you go to vanta.com slash vox. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash vox for $1,000 off Vanta.